actually was never in side by side. Oh shit! I was probably at every single one of their shows. Oh shit! Right, hang on a second. <laughs> you, oh, so you weren't in the, okay. One second. Hang on. I'm gonna do this again because I fucked up. Hang on a second. Welcome to the One Fine Chance Podcast. I'm your host Toby Morris. I have a special guest today. He's been in bands like the Young Republicans, Violent Children, Judge, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Project X, Bold, Shelter, and Last of the Famous. That's correct, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy list. It's such a resume, man. <laughs> Fuck. I know. I don't have much else of a resume. It's like, <laughs> you know, 30 <laughs> years of punk rock. <laughs> so, And I teach a little yoga, too. Yeah. My resume. Dude, you're, if people don't know, I'm talking to uh, Purcell right now. Um, we'll do his Instagram later, but my man is in the best shape ever. He's he's 50 years old and he's shredded. Actually, you've always been shredded. Ever since I've known you, you've always been in good shape your whole life, which is pretty awesome. You've always stayed healthy in shape, you know, for sure. Well, you know, well, I tell you, I made it a priority. And, you know, health is important, man. Yeah. Like, if you don't have health, uh, you know, I see people 20 years younger than me and they just let themselves go. And it's, you know, yeah. sad to see. It is. It's like, it's super important, especially for punk rockers and people that do music because we don't have retirement plans or 401ks. Some of us don't even have medical insurance. So it's like, you got to take care of your body to stay away from going to the doctors and stuff, you know? My, my medical insurance is yoga every day mm-hmm. and a healthy diet. <laughs> yeah, you've always been... You've, That's why, sure. You've, have you always been like that even as a kid? I mean, well, let's go back to that. Let's go back to you and... um, Let's go back to a young version of you. Uh, were you born in New York or Connecticut? I was born in New York. Uh, okay. I grew up in Westchester. Nice. I was born in Nourishell. And, uh, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I ate the worst diet ever. I mean, I grew up <laughs> like, you know, in, in, you know, eighties kid, you know, I grew up on like Captain Crunch yeah. and double stuff Oreos and, you know, <laughs> All my the parents basics. were divorced. Yeah, my parents were divorced, so my dad used to take me and my brother to the uh, to the supermarket. Yeah, and he'd just be like, "Get whatever you want." <laughs> Damn, you, know, you tell like a fourteen year old kid, "Get whatever you want." I'm get like five boxes of cereal, a couple of gallons of ice cream. You know, so <laughs> I didn't really start. To, you know, it's just how I. It's just how like me and my friends live. Yeah, you know, eating eating hamburgers every night. You know, microwaving stuff. I had like no clue that what you ate affected your health. Mm-hmm. You know, that, did, that didn't come until until later. Yeah. Thanks to, hard, thanks to hardcore, really. I mean, thanks to, you know, moving to New York City, you know, getting into, like, this music scene, you know, just even just moving to New York City, there's so many different um, ideas start to bounce off of you. It's like, you know, I grew up in this kind of, like, small town in Westchester, and, you know, it's very, you know, it's very close, and you live, yeah. like, you know, you live one way. And you don't even know that there's other ways to live out there. So, yeah. And really, when I really when I moved to the city, I started getting a lot of different ideas, just about music and life and food and health. And you know, it was really I was lucky to do it because I was young when I did it. Yeah. How old were you when you moved there? Uh, I was 19. So did you did you uh, do good in high school and stuff like that and graduate, of course, and all that before? Uh, I did. I got straight A's in high school. Wow. I went to, you know, and it's funny too, because my brother, he didn't really do too great in school. So my dad's, you know, was really like thinking that I was going to be the one that was going to make it in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I did, you know, so when I told my dad that I wasn't going to go to college and I was going to do 
my hardcore band full time and go on tour. Damn, dude. You <laughs> 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 didn't really take kindly to that. Yeah, it was rough. But hey, best, best, best decision I ever made. Mm-hmm. So you graduated yeah. then, and then how long after that you moved to New York? So right, shortly after that you moved to New York, huh? I didn't graduate. I only went to college for a year. Oh, okay. And even when I even I went to college in Oswego, SUNY Oswego, and I was obsessed with hardcore. Like I couldn't study. I couldn't like, you know, I just couldn't get into it. I was, yeah. I was. I remember I had a uh, had one of my finals, and I went and I took the bus all the way to Albany to see Suicidal Tendencies. That's oh, <laughs> awesome. And I came, I and I came back so late that I couldn't even go and take a shower. So I walked in forty five minutes late to my final, dressed like freaking sweaty ass punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy just looked at me and he's like. Here's the test. You're probably gonna fail it, and I aced it. Wow, that's yeah. That's awesome. just like what would, you know. But I really, I, I really, I couldn't get into school. You know, we were doing youth today. On um, on my Christmas break, we did that. We did our first West Coast tour with Seven Seconds with Kevin Seconds playing drums. Really? You know, once you do something like that, <laughs> yeah. On our, on our Christmas break, the first show we played was New Year's Eve in Reno. Oh wow! And our drummer. Our dr- a week before, our drummer said, eh, I don't want to do it. We're like, what are you kidding? This is like a dream come true. You know, Seven Seconds were literally my favorite band. Yeah. And so so we told Kevin, we're like, we can't do it. He goes, don't worry, I'll play drums for you. Come out three days early and we'll, we'll practice in my garage. That's amazing. So, I even knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. Kevin Seconds played drums for us. Wow. So what, 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 what was, got you into that? Like, how'd you find hardcore? Like, what was... Why'd you fall in love with it so so much? Uh, I got into punk. First of all, I was always obsessed with music. Yeah. Always. Uh, I mean, even when I was like, you know, six, seven years old, I was always flipping through my dad's records, playing music, playing the radio. Yeah. I had one, I had one of those like school tape recorders. Remember those tape recorders? They were like a black rectangle. Yeah. You yeah. press the two buttons to record, and they were re- recorded mono. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had one, I had one of those at home, and I used to keep it by the radio. And you know, the radio was weird back then in like the seventies. They play like pop music, but every now and then you'd play like a, I don't know, like a Queen song or yeah. like a Foreigner song, like some like rock song. Totally. And as soon as the rock song came on, I tape it, so it would make these like mixed, you know, mono mixtapes with like the first ten seconds of the song cut off. Yeah. And I would just listen to the rock you know, I just listen to the rock music like all night, just on my little tape recorder. So I was always kind of obsessed with music. But re- you know, and I was I was really into kiss when I was a little kid, like every little kid in the seventies. Yeah. But uh when I was in seventh grade, someone played the Sex Pistols record, never mind the bollocks. Yeah. And when I heard that song, Bodies, and when I heard him say, fuck this, fuck, I don't know if I could swear on this. You can, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. <laughs> Fucking all the fuckers, fuck it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, just, I was so blown away. I was like, this is the best, coolest, most honest music like I've ever heard in my life. And it was great music, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, so once I got into the Sex Pistols, that was it. It was just like, I was just obsessed with, with punk. Yeah. And then I got into the Ramones and like anything that I could get my hands on, you know, it was, it was, it was weird too because you know punk was so small. You had to like, 
it's not like today where you can just go on the internet and listen to whatever you want. You had to like search it out. I mean, yeah. I used to go to records. I used to take the train to the city. I didn't have any, I wanted to spend all my money on records. It's funny. Who was I talking to about this? One of the other guys in judge. We were talking about how we used to take the train. Yeah. And you'd want to keep all your money for records. So we'd hide in the bathroom. <laughs> so we didn't have to pay for the ticket. Oh, you know, and then we, we go to Blaker Bob's and yeah. you know, there wasn't really any like advertisement or internet. Like you just didn't know. Like I would just go to Blaker Bob's and I would just buy what, whatever record had the coolest cover. Yeah. Well, you know, drop. luckily I'd lucked into like, you know, minor threat, you mm-hmm. know, the misfits and you know, they just had cool covers. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Discharge. <laughs> Discharge. So um, I, I got into I got into punk super early on, like junior high school. I was just like a full on punk rocker. Yeah. Um, you know, but I couldn't really go to any hardcore shows because you know early eighties the hardcore shows in New York started at like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like how am I going to go to a show at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> like I'm this kid kid from Westchester. My dad my dad will kill me. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, no the first reason. hardcore show I, the first hardcore show that I went to was Rock Against Reagan. Mm. I think it was like 1982 or 1983, and the only way I could go is because it was during the day. This was before CBGB's matinee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. um, so they had a bunch of like, you know, like it was it was really cool. Actually, I went there. They had a bunch of like hip-hop bands and they had a bunch of like salsa bands it, it wasn't just punk it was like all different kinds of music so it was yeah. sort of like all these different kind of like underground genres of music got together and they were like protesting ronald reagan yeah and uh and that band mdc played yeah man moon's day cops yeah oh my god i love them they're one of my <laughs> favorite bands that's awesome and when they and when they started playing and people started like slamming and stage diving i was like oh my god this is it i've been waiting years for this <laughs> like i did my first stage dive oh, you know shit. i was like slam. i mean i was probably you know people probably hated me because i didn't even know what slamming was yeah you know so i'm just like bopping around the pit but it was there was so much energy and it was so incredible that you could get up on stage and you could sing along with the singer you know i had only been to like a bunch of rock shows and just 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 to have that like total you know communion with the band Mm -hmm. and to me that was like the most incredible thing because the music was so powerful it was so moving yeah. Just the fact that you could actually be a participant in the whole thing instead of just a viewer. Yeah, it's amazing. That was that was like the most special magical thing to me ever. And you know, so after that, all I wanted to do was just want to, you know, be in bands, you know, listen to hardcore, you know, absorb as much of that as I could. Were you playing music then? Or did you play guitar at all? Uh, yeah, I I started playing guitar and I was in that band Young Republicans. Yeah. Um, you know, we did, uh, we used to, we actually, you know, played some clubs and played the anthrax. That's how I met Capo. Okay. Awesome. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, but you know, it was really cool. Like, you know, people in Westchester, I mean, the only, there was only like two or three punk rockers in my whole school. So one time we played the movie theater and we opened up for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And people just couldn't. <laughs> That's awesome. People just couldn't. People just couldn't believe it. I mean, people didn't know what punk rock was. You know, you heard 
you know, the only thing that gets you heard that regular people heard about punk rock was like the Sex Pistols, like on the news, yeah. like people spinning on each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so when we started playing, you know, they were so blown away. But, you know, it was so cool. Here we are, a bunch of like 14, 15 year old kids, and we're writing our own songs, we're awesome. booking our own shows. Crazy. You know, what, what, what 15 year old kids do that <laughs> except for hardcore kids? Yeah. It's really true. You know, so, so it was, uh, it was cool. Hardcore empowered me mm-hmm. to think that I can do this. You know, the Ramones empowered me. Like before I heard the Ramones, I thought that playing music was like an impossibility. Yeah. You had to be like a virtuoso and you had to get signed to a record label. Yep. And, you know, but then you hear the Ramones and I'm playing Ramones songs after playing guitar for like three months. And it's just like, and it was so cool. It's not, you know, they're not good looking guys. They're a bunch of ugly guys. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, they true. play very simplistic music. It like <laughs> leveled the playing field that, yo, I can do this still. Mm-hmm. You know, so punk rock and hardcore, it was super empowering uh, just as a musician that you could yeah. actually, you know, if you had something like in your heart that you wanted to say, you just bang out a few chords, you get up there and say it. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, it's true. You uh, were you were you like so you were fourteen then probably or no younger? For young Republicans, when I first when I when I first started doing bands, I was probably like fifteen. Yeah, but I I got into punk when I was like twelve, I think, or something like yeah. that. Were you um? Did you did you uh? Were you drinking or partying back then? That probably not that young. You weren't exposed yeah. to it yet, or were you? No, no, I was because my brother, I I, I had an older brother. Okay, and he thought it was like funny to take his younger brother to like keg parties. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I would tag along with him and, you know, I'd be like 13 years old and I'd get drunk and everybody would laugh. Oh, and shit. so, you know, everybody, everybody thought like it was cute to have this like little kid tagging along with his brother getting wasted, getting wasted at keg parties. Jesus. And it was, and I mean, thinking about it, like a lot of my friends started drinking and smoking like pretty young. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the suburbs are boring. Like, people don't have much to do. There's not much yeah. of an outlet. So people start drinking, like, I mean, I was even talking to Sammy. You know, Sammy, who plays drums for you today. Yeah. And he was telling me that he was, do- he was doing, like, acid and you know, getting drunk on the red when he was, like, 11. Jesus. So, I mean, it's probably still true to this day that, you know, Kids are getting wasted way younger than. It might be worse, even. especially with social media, all that stuff, and the different pressures for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, kids are doing harder things now at even younger age. Yeah. So you. But um. Go ahead. To tell you to tell you the truth, I used to go to parties and I used to get drunk. I never liked it. Like I like you know I I didn't like the feeling of being out of control mm-hmm. of my own like body. Yeah. And I didn't like the feeling of being, and I would always get hung over. Like the next day I would be super hung over. Sometimes I'd be hung over for like three days. I mean, I didn't really weigh that much. I probably weighed like 90 pounds. Yeah. And, uh, it, I, I was basically peer pressured into it, mm-hmm. you know, from my, br- my older brother and his friends and, you know, from my friends. And, um, yeah, I, I did it because it was like the cool thing to do in school yeah. and you were just a loser. You were just a loser. You know, by the time you get to like junior high school, you're just a loser if you didn't party, <laughs> totally. you know? Yeah. All the paper. And, um, <clears throat> I tell you when I heard the first minor threat record I got, 
was in my eyes. I got that before I got the first single. Because I remember yeah. I went to Bleaker Bob's and I only had money for one. And this was before Out of Step even came out. Yeah. And I was like looking at the two Minor Threat singles. I had heard Minor Threat on the radio. And um, I was like, which one should I get? Which one should I get? So I I, I just got in my eyes just because it had the, I thought it had a cooler cover. Yeah. <laughs> and I took it home and I tell you, I heard that song out of step and I was just like, fuck, this is exactly how I feel. Yeah. Like exactly. And totally it was pretty much from that, from that second. And when I found out about straight edge, it was just like, that's it. I'm going straight edge. Like fuck my school, fuck the rest of the kids in my school. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be peer pressure into it. I don't yeah. like it. And, awesome. you know, just just no, just knowing that there was other people out there that kind of felt exactly how I did. Again, it, it just empowered me Yeah, just enough to kind of like, you know, just say, fuck it. I don't want, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And that was another lucky thing that I did. I tell you, I made a few, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. I made a few really good ones. Yeah. And one of the really good ones was to become straight edge when I was like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And the other one was to go vegetarian when I was like 19. Yeah. Yeah, man. And those were, those were two of the, the most biggest positive decisions that I made in my whole entire life. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I went vegetarian because of youth today and gorilla biscuits. We'll get to that later, but yeah, man. So thank you for that. Um, so then violent children, that's what that, that was next up. Yeah, so I started going to uh, I started going to shows. You know, my dad worked in the city. Yeah, and you know, the city back then was a mess. Scary. I mean, the city too. is not mm-hmm. like it was it, it was now. Yeah, it's funny. Was. I was just watching me and my son. Um, you know, we have this guy that lives up here, and uh, he always shops at you know, at the store my son works at. His name's Serpico. Okay. He's that guy that they, they made that movie about. You really? About that movie with, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. But he lives up here. So wow. my son is always talking to him at the, you know, he works at a health food store. He's always talking to him. So there's some documentary online about Serpico. So we watched it a few days ago. And you know, the whole story of Serpico is like, he was a cop in like the seventies and the eighties. And like every cop was on the take. Mm-hmm. And you know, every cop is just like, you know, taking money from drug dealers to look, to look the other way. Yeah. So like, you know, you know, drugs in like Manhattan in the seventies and like the early eighties, it's just like insane. The whole yeah. city was crazy. Yeah. You remember how it was. Mm-hmm. It was like that during the eighties. Yeah. The city was like city was like the Wild West. Yeah. And you know, so my dad who worked in the city, he understood, hey, this isn't a good place for my sixteen year old son mm-hmm. to hang out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He never let me go to shows, but for some reason, I used to go to shows at the Anthrax, which was in Stamford, Connecticut. Yep. I don't know. Maybe maybe my dad just thought Connecticut. Oh, it's just like rich state where everybody like is preppy and like dress nice, <laughs> yeah. and so Stanford must not be that bad. Stanford's freaking horrible. Yeah, I remember going to shows there. Ever, sketchy. Yeah, man, sketchy. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, so sketchy of a neighborhood <laughs> where the Anthrax was. But for some reason, my dad used to let me go there, so I used to go to shows in Connecticut. So Capo grew up in, in, was living in Danbury. He grew up in Danbury. So he yeah. used to go to shows there too. And so we met and, you know, even punk was small back then. Straight edge was even smaller. Yeah. You know, find somebody else that was straight edge. It's like, you know, you just didn't, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And so the first time I went to the anthrax, Capo was there and he had an X on his hand and he had a skateboard. And even Sick. before I talked to him, I was like, 
this guy's going to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's just like, you know, people, you know, skating so big now. I mean, people can't even fathom it. Skating was like, you get made fun of for riding a skateboard. Back then. If you were like above the age of 10 and you had a skateboard, people like would make fun of you. 100%. So I, I met Capo and, you know, we, uh, we became instant friends. We used to hang out and he was already in that band, Violent Children. Okay. And, um, their guitar player went to college and they were pretty, they're pretty popular in, in Connecticut and like the anthrax scene. So yeah. when their guitar player went to college, um, he asked me to join and I was like, wow, I'm finally going to be in like a, a band that actually, you know, and they had yeah. played like CBGBs and stuff. So I was pretty impressed. I was psyched to get in the band. That's awesome. Did you skate too back then? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We, I mean, there was no street skating. We just built a, a like a half pipe in the woods. Wow. Like a huge half pipe. And we used to just like skate half pipes and stuff. We would skate pools in the, sun, in the, in the winter when the pools were drained. Yeah. It was fun. Did you have a favorite trick? Uh, I wasn't really good. I could do backside airs. That Sick. was probably my favorite trick. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it was funny because like none of us were really good because none of us knew how to skate. Yeah. Like, and you read, you maybe get a Thrasher magazine every, every now and then you try <laughs> to figure out the tricks just by looking at the pictures. Totally. But there was, but there was no one good that could really like show us like anything. So none of us were really all that good. Yeah. There's like the sequence shots they had in Thrasher. You could like follow the sequence shots, but then. Until the, <laughs> exactly. Until the <laughs> <laughs> I remember trying to trying to figure out how to do an ollie from the sequence pictures it's yeah. like impossible <laughs> yeah until the bones brigade videos came out and that changed everything man it was so amazing oh yeah for sure dude. for sure those were those were amazing all the soundtracks yeah, in did. those dude so good they, they did change everything yeah that was cool love bones brigade so then how then how long did we in violent children before because youth of today comes next right after that or no yeah, I was I was probably like um, I was probably seventeen when I was in Violent Children. Yeah, and we were sort of we were sort of split down the middle because me and Capo were super serious about hardcore. I mean, yeah, hardcore was our life. Yeah, I mean, unless that's why they call it hardcore. It's like you're not into anything else. You're into hardcore. It's like you're <laughs> dedicating yourself to this crazy ass music that has just kind of like overtaken your life. True. You can't really concentrate on anything else. So we were into hardcore. We wanted to make a serious band because we were straight edge. Yeah. And we were into like positive music. I mean, we love seven seconds. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of that going around. Mm-hmm. You know, so we wanted to make this band. You know, we wanted to make it a serious band, but the singer and the bass player wanted to make it kind of like a joke band. Okay. Like they loved like the, they loved like the meat men and they were doing like, yeah, you know, they're just doing like jokey stuff on stage. And then finally, you know, we were friends with Johnny Stiff who booked shows at CBG because yep. we had just met him at shows and for some reason he liked us. Yeah. And so he said, Hey, do you guys want to play? This is when the matinees had just first started at CBG, <clears throat> CBGB's. And he said, Hey, does Violent Children want to play with the Circle Jerks at, at a matinee at CBGB's? And we were like, wow. oh my God, like to play with the Circle Jerks? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, and our singer was like, nah, I don't want to do it. Whoa. I just don't, I, I just, I just don't want to do it. Like, I, you know, I don't want to drive all the way to New York City on a Sunday. I got to go to school the next day or some, something wow. like that. And we're just like, 
if you can't be bothered to freaking play with the circles here to CBGBs, <laughs> we can't do a band with you. You know exactly, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so we brought <laughs> like that literally broke up the band. And this was like, this was probably like, um, I was getting close to graduating. And so capital was just like, you want to know something? Screw this. Let's get really serious. Let's make a straight edge band. And, um, he said, I want to sing. And he goes, I don't want to play drums. And he goes, I, he goes, he goes, I want to make the music super hard, like negative approach. Yeah. But I want to make the lyrics super positive, like seven seconds. Sick. And so that was kind of like our mission statement to do like a hard, Different. hardcore band. Yeah. But, you know, but make it positive. Yeah. And so that's, you know, and that's how we started Youth Today. We, we got the drummer and the bass player from Young Republicans who went to my school mm -hmm. and we, and we started and I tell you, it's so weird. You know, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes in your life, like, like certain ingredients come together and the sum is greater than the total of the parts. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like something like you just get together with certain people and like magic happens. I agree. And it was so weird. It's like, as soon as like, Capo started singing and we started doing youth today. People were like really interested about the band. Like I can't like we slugged it out in young Republicans and like violent children, like mm -hmm. nothing much was happening. And then all of a sudden we started youth today. It was like, Hey, do you want to play this show? Hey, do you want to play this show? People are coming down to see us from like Boston. Like, I don't know if it was like the straight edge thing, just kind of intrigued people because yeah, the straight edge was dead. You know, minor threat had been broken up for years. Mm -hmm. SSD had been broken up. Um, but we started playing and our first show was with, was with Agnostic Front in Connecticut. Damn. And they were like, Hey, you guys want to play? And it was an incredible show. I mean, sure. it was, and like literally that was our first show. Richie Underdog was there. I met him at that very first show. Yeah. Um, and it was just weird. Like from that show on every show we played was like an incredible show. It was like kids singing along. We didn't even have a record out. Wow. And then we played the, and then we played that and early on. I mean, I think you know, probably less than 10 shows in we played with seven seconds and Kevin was like, Oh my God, your band is so great. I want to put out your record. Come on tour with us. I mean, damn stuff just started, stuff just started happening. I mean, you know how it is. Yeah, like, man. You yeah. know, you, for some reason you get together with Rusty, you get together with these, these people mm -hmm. and you know, just it's a magic the chemistry is mm -hmm. right. The chemistry is right. And stuff just started taking off and it was really like, it's exciting for an 18 year old kid. Yeah. What year you know was what that? 86. Uh, we started the band in 85. Okay. I graduated. In, I graduated high school in 85. Okay. And we started playing, we started playing that summer. Damn. And literally, I mean, by December was when we was when, uh, we did that tour with seven seconds on the West coast. So, so within six months we were, we had our, our record hadn't come out yet. But yeah. Can't close my eyes came out in the spring, but we were already, you know, signed to Kevin seconds record label. We're already doing a whole West coast tour with seven seconds. The first show was new year's Eve with seven seconds in Reno, Nevada. Yeah, I mean, crazy, that's where man. they're from. That's their hometown. Yeah. Yeah. It was an incredible show. I mean, you can imagine Kevin seconds playing drums for us. Everybody wants to see us. <laughs> Fucking awesome. I our, can't believe that. Our, our second show is in um, Northern California with 
social distortion and the vandals. Wow. I see, and it's a huge <laughs> show. Sure. I mean, there's probably like, you know, 1500 kids there. I mean, we had never even seen a punk show that big back at that point. And we're, playing, and we're playing it. Yeah. It's crazy. And it was, and it was, re- it was really cool. Cause the show was sold out and there was all these hardcore kids that couldn't get into the show. So it's mm-hmm. probably like 50 hardcore kids that couldn't get in. So, so we snuck them all in the back. Awesome. And, and so the kids were so, we became friends with them. They were so indebted to us that we had snuck them into the show. But when we started playing, these 50 hardcore kids are like losing their minds. I mean, we didn't even have a, we didn't even have a record out. No one knows our <laughs> stuff, but you know, you get like 50 hardcore kids that are stage diving for every single one of your songs. Great. Like people are like, who is this band? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah I mean? man. And that's pre, you know, what's crazy about that. That's like just, that's way pre internet. That's just word of mouth. And that's huge. That says a lot about the band and the impact too, because that was just like the word spreading across the country. It's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, and it was really cool because Seven Seconds actually didn't play that show. I, I don't know why, but they really? didn't play. The, they didn't play that show, so it was just um, it was just Kevin Seconds was with us. Yeah. So we didn't have any of our we didn't have any of the gear because we were using Seven Seconds gear. Oh shit! So Kevin was like, "You got to borrow a guitar amp," and I was like, "Dude, whose guitar amp I'm going to borrow? Like, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's it's the freaking Vandals and it's Social Distortion." Yeah. And Kevin Seconds said, "Hey, man." The Vandals are like out of their minds. You're better off asking Social Distortion. He goes, go ask Mike Ness. And I'm like, <laughs> how the hell am I going to ask Mike Ness? Like, and first of all, Mike Ness had just gotten out of rehab. Mm-hmm. Like Social Distortion had kind of broken up for six months while he was in rehab. Yeah. This was literally the first show with Mike Ness out of rehab. And so that's why everybody was so excited about the show. Oh, like, wow. You know, there was like tons of people there. Yeah. And so Mike Ness had his hair he was dressed like a complete skinhead he had like oh, wow. a fred perry boots and braces shaved head and he had gotten like all these tattoos and i'm just like shit dude i don't even know like if i want to even talk to that guy like he's gonna <laughs> fucking pop me <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and so kevin was like no dude i was like i mean if kevin got in this big argument i was like you're kevin seconds you go ask him he's like i'm not gonna ask him look at that guy <laughs> so we got this big argument and finally, he like pushed me, pushed me. He's like, "You got to ask him, man. We got to play this show." <laughs> so I walked up to him, and it was really cool. I was like, "Hey, man, what's up? I'm in this band youth today. We're opening for you guys. Um, I know there's a lot to ask, but we're on tour seven seconds, but they're not playing. Is there any way that I can borrow your guitar amp?" And it was so cool because Mike Ness goes to me. He goes, "You got, you guys are that straight edge band from New York, right?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." And he goes. Hey man, I just got out of rehab. I'm totally into what you guys are, what you guys are putting down. You can borrow my amp anytime. Oh, dude, <clears throat> that's amazing! And it was it was super cool. So I got to use this like you know Marshall full stack of <laughs> you know Mike Nathis, and you know, we sounded awesome. <laughs> wow, that's so cool, man! Wow. Yeah, it was cool. That's that was and, I mean, this is literally like <clears throat> you know. So stuff is happening. We have been a band for like five months and we're already like playing shows, social distortion, touring the West coast. Dude. Our next, our next show was at Fenders in Long Beach with youth brigade, seven seconds, Damn. uniform choice. Uh, I think Ben Dr. No played. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's one of those huge Fender shows. Yeah. You know, Fenders is like crazy. We, yeah. 
and it was incredible. Uniform choice were incredible. I mean, what yeah. a show that was. Damn. I mean, so this this is like my I'm 18 years old. This is like my dream come true, you know. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on break from college, and you know, yeah. all this stuff is happening. I mean, you know, we're meeting Uniform Choice. Uniform Choice really liked us. Wow. Um, you know, and it, it was weird. Like kids liked us. Yeah. I mean, like we played that first show. Our record wasn't even out. And can't close my I eyes. Mean, was it was the seven inch right? The first one. Yeah, and no. so after that. After that tour, Capo had already quit school. Yeah, I went back to school, but I wasn't into it. Yeah. I, I already knew at that point that I was going to quit school and I was I was going to try to do you today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then a record, a record came out in that you know, in like the springtime, I think. And so, uh, you know, I already, I already, I, I didn't, I didn't apply again for school. I already knew that I wasn't going to go to school. I took all my took all my money that I was going to use for like books and stuff for school. And I bought an amp and, and a new guitar. <laughs> awesome. And then I told my, and then I told my dad, I was like, Hey dad, I'm not going back to school. I'm going on tour for the whole summer. Spent all my money on an amp and a guitar. <laughs> just like broke. It's just like broke his heart. Damn. But you know, sometimes you got to break your parents' heart to follow your own heart. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, and we did, and, and so that whole Can't Close My Eyes tour, I booked it myself. Holy shit. Pre-internet, too, which is I, amazing. It was pre-internet. <laughs> I, got a bunch of, uh, I got a bunch of credit card phone numbers from one of these guys in Albany. And I got a bunch of phone numbers from Kevin Seconds. And I literally booked the whole thing myself, and it was it was really cool because Holy shit. there was some there was some there was some hype about the band, so it was actually very easy to book the tour. Yeah, and we and we played a bunch of shows with Seven Seconds too, and so and so Kevin Seconds was was telling all the club, you know, the promoters like, oh yeah, this is an up and coming band. We signed them; they're really good. Book these guys. I got to hand it to Kevin, man. Damn, man. He he really like. He really went to bat for us. Like he really liked the band. He really awesome. believed in the band. And you know, he made a lot of. He opened a lot of doors for us that you know other bands probably you know new bands probably didn't have. So yeah, yeah. totally indebted to that guy. That's amazing, man. And so. it was great. We played. We played nine thirty club, and Ian McKay was there <laughs> on the side of the stage. Wow, that was another like epic moment That's on the game. Was my high store. Holy yeah, shit! It was great. Yeah, because nobody was really talking about straight edge or anything. Like you said, like it just kind of died out. And I'm sure there were kids that were still straight edge and like miss, just listening to old records of bands that weren't around anymore. And then you guys came out, you know, breath of fresh air and same message. And it's awesome, man. It's crazy. The timing was. Perfect. I mean, it was it was weird too. I mean, we were bold. We put X's on our hands. We went out there. Um, you know, by that time, like Craig was in the band. I think Richie was in the band too. Yeah. Richie talked about that. No, actually, yeah. no, actually, actually Richie wasn't in the band. No, that's not to break down the walls. We did, yeah. We did with, um, <clears throat> we did with Craig and Tommy from straight ahead. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. And then Tommy quit after that tour. He just didn't like touring. And then we got, uh, and we got Mike judge and we got Richie. Wow, and that's when the whole kind of, that's when the whole break down the walls thing started happening. Yeah, that's and it was funny too. It was funny too because you know 
we went on a break. We went on a can't close my eyes tour. No one knew about Straight Edge. Like Straight Edge was like so uncool. We were getting beers thrown at us like left and right, Damn. and death threats, and people tried to fight us. And wow, you know there was no stra- there was no Straight Edge scene. It was mm-hmm. like. You know, we were like fucking Lewis and Clark out there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, pioneering shit across the country. I love this, man. It's crazy. (laughs) You know, and it was really cool to see because by the time like Break Down the Walls came out and we did that Break Down the Walls tour, um, you know, Straight Edge was what had caught on like wildfire. Mm -hmm. It was incredible to see what happened in like one year. Yeah. It's crazy even because in like New York City, go ahead. even in New York, even in New York City, you know, the most rugged out you know, hardcore scene in the country, somehow or other, you know, this whole kind of like Gorilla Biscuit started and yeah, um, even like, you know, you remember even like Ray Dees was straight edge with yeah. the X on his hand, yeah. <laughs> you know, it kind of like kind of caught on in New York City and then, you know, from there it just caught on around the country. It was really kind of an exciting time. Did you guys catch any shit in the New York scene for being like the straight edge band? Oh my God. The first time we played CBGB's, we played with Agnostic Front and uh, we were backstage and we were putting X's on our hands and Johnny Stiff was back there. He's like, you guys are really going to put an X on your hand at CBGB's in New York City. You're going to be fucking eating like, you're going to be eating like cats. <laughs> because <laughs> dogs are going to come out, they're going to eat you like cats. Are you kidding me? Straight Edge is never going to catch on in this city. Trump's are just part of the city. You just got to learn to accept it. Wow. And, you know, we took it as like a challenge. Yeah. And what, whatever, we went out there, we did our thing. Little, little did Johnny Stiff know in a few months, it was like a huge straight edge scene in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. So then, so at, at one Ooh. time, at one time, it was like Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, all coexisting, We're also with Judge and Side by Side and Bold all the same time, or no? Yeah, all those bands, yeah. all those bands started around then. It's like it was like '87. Yeah, and then by and then by '88, I mean, you know, stuff was just like huge. Yeah, we're not. We're not in this alone. Came out then, right? Around there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then and I mean, by then rock. you're. By then, we're just playing the show. Like, every show is packed, and every kid is singing every word. You know, we could... By, like, 1988, we could play a show, and, like, every kid that comes is straight edge. Yeah. How did that, how <laughs> so did that feel? Like, did you guys feel, like, a responsibility? Did you feel any pressure? Did you feel... I don't know. How did you feel, like, having... I don't know. that You guys are up on these pedestals, too. Like, this is, like, some iconic shit that was happening, you know? I mean, it felt great at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, it was, it, Straight Edge was big, but it was also very, very trendy. Mm-hmm. You know, for some reason it became like, it became really cool to be Straight Edge and Straight Edge was the cool it thing to, yeah. to be. You know, and then by like 89, like 90, Straight Edge wasn't cool anymore. It's crazy. And then how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that when you're like, still totally into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally and you then, know it was a really weird time wasn't it 89 to yeah. be a straight edge kid yeah. all of your friends started start drinking yeah you know it was just like and the scene got different too for know. sure scene got different scene got way more violent totally scary yeah, man. i mean by like 1990 i remember that one cd i think it was a war zone show some guy pulled out a gun 
Yeah, it's just like yo, yeah. man, shit's getting like shit's getting dark. Yeah, got really, it was <laughs> really dark. I mean? It was really dark. I want to go back to winning this alone because you guys had the No More song, which was an incredible song in that video, um, and that was so powerful. And I, I talked about Richie the other day. I talked about a lot of people so far on this podcast that I feel like youth of today, you know. Obviously, KRS One at the same time, but this genre, hardcore music, and especially with the Saint Grilla Biscuits, were the first ones pushing the animal rights shit, man. Because that's where I got inspired by you guys, and there was always the Peter, the Peter pamphlets at the show. Somebody had were playing the videos, but obviously Morrissey, you know, Meet His Murder, but that was a different genre. But you guys, what what was that transition? And I don't think the Krishna was actually part of you guys at that point. But what was the transition to vegetarianism? Like where they come from? Well. Well, you know, when me and Ray moved to New York, um, we totally started to like, you know, you, you just rethink everything. Yeah. Like everything that you were taught from when you were a kid, mm-hmm. you know, now you're in like New York City. Like, you know, like I remember when I, when I moved to New York City, it's like when I was a kid growing up in high school, there was no, there was no kid in the school that was like openly gay. Like if you were an openly yeah. gay kid in my high school, you would just be so mercilessly made Kicked fun on, of yeah. that. Yeah. Even if you were gay, you weren't telling anybody, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like everybody's throwing out the word faggot. I mean, mm-hmm. even like when I you know, was in high school, oh, you faggot, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. part of our, part of our like language or whatever. Yeah. And so I remember when I, the day that I moved to New York city, Literally the day that I moved that I moved there, me and Kevin in the apartment on Fifteenth Street, we loaded all our stuff in and it was really late at night. I was like, Man, I'm gonna get some ice cream to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so we were in the we were in the West Village. We lived on Fifteenth Street between seventh and eighth. And so there was a little bodega that was down um, near Greenwich Ave. So I was walking down and I remember I was I I saw two guys in a doorway making out. Like two gay guys making yeah. out and I was like I was like shocked. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe like, you know, it was like the first time I had ever kind of seen something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know what? And it it like disturbed me just because I'm this like, you know, whatever sheltered kid from Westchester was just like, you know, no one ever talked about that stuff. You never knew anybody that was Mm -hmm. gay in school, you know? And it shocked me like in a good way. Yeah. Like, okay, there's people with other different kinds of lives and here you are in New York City and, you know, there's different people from different countries, you know, there's people, from, you know, from different religions, people from different cultures. Yeah. And you just gotta, you just gotta wrap your fucking head around it. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, So it, it was good for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a time in our life when we were young and we just started like rethinking everything, you know, from where we grew up in our like small towns. Yeah. And so one thing that we were definitely rethinking was like health. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause we lived right down the street from integral yoga, that health food store. So yeah, we, yeah. we start shopping, we start shopping there and we would go to, um, we'd go to the bookstore and we'd buy like books on health. And so like me, Capo, and like I was friends with Richie cause we had met him at that first day show. Yep. We really started to get into like health food and you know that's when we started getting into vegetarianism because awesome. we started realizing that that meat wasn't good for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I actually got a jo- I got a job at Prana Foods, which was a health food store on the on the east side. You know what's crazy? You said got that? A job. Sorry, I'm sorry, Carl, but jo- but you know what's funny? Say you worked there at one point. John Joseph said he worked there yesterday. Chaka worked there, and Mark Supertouch worked there. 
It's crazy. Yeah, I remember those dudes working there. Yeah. It was funny. When I, wor- when I worked there, um, I think John, John Watson worked at the, at the health food restaurant with Capo. Capo worked at the restaurant, which is two blocks away. It's called the Himsa. Wow. Okay. And, and, Vi- and Vinny Signorelli from that, what's the name of that band that he was in? Mm-hmm. That kind of like noise rock band. Did you know that guy, Vinny? I don't, really? I don't know if I know him now. It might be before my time there. Oh, man. He was in like a popular like New York like noise band. Okay. For some reason, the name like escapes me. But, uh, Unsane? Tell me every day, man. You, Unsane. The Unsane. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So he used to tell me every day, you got to get off this meat, man. This meat's going to kill you. It's no good for you. And so we really like, you know, studied it and we used to start reading books on it. It was something that we totally got into. And yeah. I remember me and Capo, when we were doing, when we were writing the We're Not in Alone record, yeah. Capo came to me and goes, I'm thinking about writing a song about vegetarianism. Sick. What do you think? Are we just, are we just pushing people too far? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you know, because it's so, you know, just to change your life to become straight edge. Mm-hmm you know, is a big deal. Yeah. So we actually talked about it and we were just like, and I was like, you know what? I think it's a great idea. This is what we're into. I mean, you know, parkour is about speaking your life. You know what I mean? So whatever. I mean, yeah. we, we just did it not knowing how people were going to react to it. Yeah. And, um, it was great because people reacted so positively to it. And a lot of people became vegetarian from that song. Hell yeah. It was so powerful. I was so bummed. I was like out of town or something. I was sick of it all that weekend. I wanted to be there, man. It was, that was such a great video. It was funny, but it was also got, had a strong message. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, fuck. Did they yeah. play that on MTV? You know, they played it on TV too, right? Um, they told us they wanted to play it on MTV, but they told us they would have to, they would have to censor out all the slaughterhouse footage. Wow. And we told them, and we told them, no way. Yeah, fuck that. But but thinking back, we should have done it. Mm. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. like kids who, who normally wouldn't like be exposed to that might have gotten into it, but we told them no. But it's funny, I remember when we uh, when we first, we stayed at Maximum Rock and Roll when We're Not On This Alone came out oh, at wow. the house they had there. Yeah. And we played the video for Tim Yohannan. And he laughed at it. He goes, no one's going to become vegetarian from this video. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> that is so fucking funny, man. But, uh, it's but crazy. yeah, it was like, but it was, um, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Should be. You know, because when you're straight edge, you're doing it for yourself. When you're becoming a vegetarian, yep. you're doing it for the world. 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I could I could die tomorrow, and hey man, it turned a lot of people onto a lot of like pretty progressive, cool shit. Hundred percent. I got into you know. Then I'm thankful that I got into it in my life. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if one person became vegetarian from that song, what a success the whole band is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's way ahead of the time now. It's so amazing how veganism and gluten free and all this plant based life is so popular. It's crazy to see the world like. Be more conscious. We have a more we have a more conscious, caring society, like you guys said back then. Um, it's amazing, like to see it come full circle. And shit, there was a plant based fucking commercial during the Super Bowl and during the Gra- the Grammys for uh, Beyond Burger. It's insane, dude. It's I tell you, it is unbelievable. If he had told me in like <clears throat> even in like the early nineties, hey, there's gonna be 
a health food store the size of a city block on Towson <laughs> Street. Yeah. I'd be like, dude, <clears throat> you know, and sure enough, here it is. Not yeah. even that long that long later. I mean, a couple of decades is like nothing. Mm-hmm. Now you have Whole Foods, like, Crazy. you know, all over the city and like vegetarian restaurants everywhere. I mean Everywhere. You you remember how it how it was back then. You could yeah, barely man. find tofu. Totally. I remember you were I mean, it was only like Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the health food stores were few and far between yeah, even man. in New York City. Yeah, down to earth. Yeah. I worked at all of them. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> down to earth, yeah. What is like falafels I literally worked and at all. Shit. I, work, yeah. I, I, I worked at down to earth. Yep. I worked at Sunrise on Housing Street with PC3. Nice. I worked at Prana Foods. I didn't work at Integral Yoga, but I used to shop there all the time. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a it's amazing to see how how stuff has just gotten so mainstream. I'm so, I couldn't be ha- more happy about it. It's so amazing. It's like it's the okay. most positive. Like you said, straight edge was kind of a trend back there. Yeah, but straight edge is actually helping save people's lives. And now veganism is a trend. It's the best trend ever because it's helping the animals and the planet and everybody. It's fucking amazing, man. Jay Z and Beyonce yeah. pushing it. It's crazy, man. Dude, you never know. I mean, a few more decades. <laughs> you vegan, you could be more vegans than meat eaters. I know that. Then that's hopefully. I mean, the, yeah. I, I mean, when you think about it, it's almost like you know, cigarettes back then. It, I mean, it was just like a given that, like, you know, people smoke cigarettes. You could smoke cigarettes in a restaurant. You mm-hmm. could smoke cigarettes on an airplane. I remember taking an airplane when I was a kid. And there used to be smoking rows in an airplane. I do remember you could smoke in an airplane. It's crazy. And you know, and you know, here it is, like a few whatever decades later and you know people realize smoking's not good for you so it, and it's, it's not like a socially accepted thing so much anymore yeah hopefully in a few decades meat eating gets to be the next cigarette you know what i mean i, I agree man it's so barbaric that shit still happens the way they're slaughtered just everything that with agriculture that's like the biggest problem with pollution in this whole fucking <clears throat> the whole world at this point and uh with the global warming all that shit it's just it's crazy, man. Um, but it's, but, it, but in, a, in a way, it's sort of exciting to see every day it seems to be getting more and more kind of like locked into the mainstream consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's getting there. Yeah. Um, I, I, remember, I remember being at the uh, practice spot in Queens where Gorilla Biscuits and Youth Today practice. I remember that being at uh, uh, work, I used to work there and like book all the uh, practices. It was Marco Siega's spot like a re- rehearsal spot and i remember when ray just came back from india for the first time and he's doing all these crazy handstands all these like poses in in the rehearsal room and you guys are working on i think we're in this we're in this alone was that when he started bringing the krishna conscious into the band at that point uh he started getting into that stuff around like the disengage record okay like, like towards the end like towards the end okay so it wasn't wearing okay well actually it was he was he was he was into it. I think he even put one of, like there's a on the original um, on the original lyric sheet. There was like a, a a book list. Okay. And I and I think there was one of like Prabhupada's books was on that list. So he was okay. starting to get into it for that record. Yeah. And then by, by the time like Disengage came out, he was so into it that and it was funny because the band was more popular than ever. I mean, we had just done that tour of like Europe and yeah. like, you know, we could play a show. We, we came back, we could play, we could play a show in any major city and get a thousand kids. I mean, wow. 
for a for a hardcore band. That was massive. like huge back then. Massive. And uh, but we knew he was going to quit. <laughs> Damn. Just because you know, yeah, you know, he was he was so into like you know the spiritual thing. We just we saw the writing on the wall, you know. Yeah. And I think that I think that's why Walter really got into Gorilla Biscuits, and I really got into Judge because mm. we knew the days were numbered for Youth of Today. Yeah. And um, which is good, you know. I think the band kind of like. I'm just really happy with all the records that we made, and yeah, it was probably the right time for the band to end anyway. Mm-hmm. What year and was plus that? Plus, I got to focus more more on Judge, too, yeah. which was which was cool. Yeah. What year was that? Uh, probably '89. Okay. And then, Ju- and then Judge came out when? How soon after? Um, well, Judge was a band in 88, but we couldn't really do much because Youth of Day was just like yeah. touring constantly. Yeah. But then, but then finally when Youth of Day broke up, you know, that's when Judge started. It was, yeah, it was probably like 89. That's when Judge started you know, actually touring. Yeah. Outside of, outside of like the tri-state area. Yeah. And how was the reaction for Judge back then? Because it was so much harder. Had a little metal edge to it. Like your guitar, your guitar playing, your riffs were, were harder. Um... I mean, yeah, it's way more complicated music. Yeah, somebody said it's like somebody said that 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 uh, bringing it down is the age of coral for straight edge. That's what somebody said. It's, <laughs> it's pretty. It's a pretty good. I think it's pretty close to that. Um, just lyrically too, because you were coming. You were coming from like not not that youth to tell you wasn't hard. The music was hard, but the the message and everything was positive too. And then Judge had a different style of lyrics, and it was a little darker and harder. You know. Yeah. Yeah, totally different vibe. Um, you know, the ju- Judge was a weird band too because I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the lyrics promoted violence, but mm-hmm. you know, there was a few lines in there like "those drugs are gonna kill you if I don't get to you first and yeah. you know, stuff like that. That kind of like, <laughs> you know, it was pretty like hardcore. <clears throat> yeah, and so judge was such a weird band because everybody loved judge even mm-hmm. to this day everybody like you today was mostly straight edge kids yeah. like you had to be part of that genre but we would get like skinheads love judge metalhead kids love judge mm-hmm. i mean it was like a re- like we would play a show and it was all sorts of people yeah like sketchy like sketchy like you know bikery kind of dudes yeah i remember you <laughs> might be there yeah in florida too i heard some stories yeah yeah, so there was always a ton of fights at the show. Yeah. Every show, every show was some kind of crazy riot or like brawl. Completely opposite of music today, too. right? Completely opposite of those positive vibes. Dude, the complete opposite. It mm. was it was crazy dark. I was even I was on that tour. I mean, especially coming off of like doing a few years in youth today, where everything was just like super light, yeah. positive, and like. Then you do like a judge tour and there's like fights every night. I'm like, I'm even thinking like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. this shit's it's just getting dark. And then yeah. we play that show in Florida and we pull up to the show. We pull around the show and there's always skinheads there that are the security and they're uh, showing each other their guns. Damn. And we're like, and we're just like, dude, this is like, you know, it's a bunch of like crazy, like, Nazi skinheads with guns. Scary man. And then, and then we were playing the set, and some like black guy kind of walked in from the street, mm-hmm. and all the skinheads just beat the shit out of them. They're Terrorists. like, you know, 
it's like nigger this nigger that and it's just like whoa dude this is like and it's the same guys with the guns yeah. <laughs> you know so you got to be a little you got to be a little careful about mm-hmm. you know you don't want to get shot either no. so it was just going and then it's like after that show it's just like mike judge had it because yeah, you can imagine being Mike Judge, like he's the guy that wrote all those lyrics. Yeah. So, so he's kind of feeling like, you know, shit. He's kind of feeling responsible for the whole thing. Yes. You know, so yeah. that's that's basically what broke Judge up was that probably just that show yeah. <laughs> was just like so demoralizing. Fuck, that's scary too. Makes you outnumbered. It's like they're probably fans of your band, but they're also kind of crazy and. Dude, they went from singing along to every word of every song to beating up a black guy and calling him a nigger. It's like, Dude, these dudes are our fans. You know what I mean? Terrible, man. Yeah, it's terrible. It's just terrible. It's horrible. Like, I didn't want any part of that. Yeah, because also, but, um, at the time, and around the 92, it was getting violent in New York also. But then, you're trying to travel and do a different band, and then there's violence at those shows outside of the city. So it's definitely not... Just in New York, it started to spread like the violence and the the tough guy posturing, yeah. all that stuff started coming into the scene and stuff. Obviously, it's been there for the whole yeah, time, I mean, but it depends on the bands. But I mean, that's really when like I started taking like a, just a step back from hardcore in mm-hmm. general. Yeah, I mean, I ju- I joined Gorilla Biscuits after that. Yeah, but yeah. um, but still, even like. Even even those guys were getting into like different kinds of music, and you know Walter yeah. was starting quick was starting quicksand yeah. and didn't really want to, you know, have too much. But you know, we loved hardcore. Yeah. But you know, the scene in New York was just nuts. Yeah. Scary. People get people getting stabbed. I remember that last Gorilla Biscuit show, like minus getting stabbed. Yeah, the marquee. Like, I was there. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It was crazy, dude. Was scary man. The whole that shit was, was like. I mean, yeah. who would think that someone would be stabbed at a Gorilla Biscuit show? I know, man. Like that's that's what it's time where you just gotta start rethinking things. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was yeah, it was crazy, man. It's just different people were coming to shows that really knew nothing about hardcore and the values of it, or even what the lyrics were about. They came to get in fights and get in the pit, like soundtrack for violence, like Sib sings about. Like it's true, it became that, and it was it was dark, man. It was scary because you're supposed to. I go, mean, go the, ahead. The cool, I mean, the cool thing about that '80s hardcore scene—I don't even know if it can if it can even be recreated in a, in like this day and age. Yeah, but it's just—it was like hardcore was such a family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. If it was just because like the whole outside world was so—you know—the Lower East Side was a dangerous place. Yeah. So it's like you know you got together with your tribe, and it was like you guys stuck together because you might get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. People were tight. I mean, it was like a really close scene. It was like, and it didn't matter what kind of, it didn't matter whether you were straight edge or not. I mean, we were friends with like Warzone and agnostic front. Yeah. And you know, all those bands were just like, you know, super close. And yeah, it's just like that started to like that whole kind of family vibe just started to really, deteriorate mm-hmm. you know by those like by like the early 90s it was really sad to see everybody started going their separate ways and stuff and it's crazy because you go to those shows to escape 
whatever fucked up childhood you had, whatever things going on in, at your school, maybe being bullied or just just everyday life. You go to those shows to like have fun, express yourself, get your aggression out in a positive way, sing along, sweat and have fun and not feel threatened and feel totally safe. Then it became complete opposite of that. You know, yeah, exactly. That was your safe haven from being picked on. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go to show and worry about like getting a hammer in your head. Yeah, it's, it's freaking... like it's like man, those shows were like my freaking refuge. Yes, from, the, from all that crap. Yeah, hundred percent. And then like, yeah, it was really like it was it was strange, man. Strange for everybody. Where was bold? I mean, where was uh, Project X and Side by Side in those years? Like, how'd you? Were you in two bands at one time? Obviously, you were, but... I mean, I was doing three bands at one time. Oh, fuck. I, 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 would, I would regularly play, like, two or three sets at a show. Because Judge would play <laughs> with Youth Ray. I'd be playing with Bold. <laughs> you know? It's crazy. I mean, Project X didn't really play. We only played, like, maybe three shows. Yeah. Um. So, didn't really have to worry too much about that. But, yeah. You know, you know, at one point I was in, you know, Youth Today, Bold, and Judge at the same time. And we would even like, you know, tour a lot together. <laughs> wow. Three sets I, I didn't care. I had a lot of energy. Like, yeah, you know, doing three do. sets was nothing yeah. for me. Wow. And so, and so then what was the break? Like, were you, can, were you doing music? all the way up into when Shelter started, or are you doing something different? Like, what was that gap between um, Judge and I Shelter? In, I was in, um, I was in Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah. And we actually were writing a bunch of really good songs. Like, as that second Gorilla Biscuits LP ever came out, it would have been awesome. Yeah, is that Distance was on there? Um, yeah, that was the whole Distance yeah, thing. And it was song. a bunch of, like, really cool, there was a bunch of really cool Kind of almost like Dag Nasty-ish, sort of like post-hardcore, like melodic vibe was Mm -hmm. going on. And it was really great. I mean, Walter's such a great songwriter. Amazing songwriter, man. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the same time, Quicksand was starting. And Quicksand was just so mighty that it was just like, you know, Walter really wanted to put his his whole kind of like heart and soul into that. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense because he'd been writing songs and not singing them in the other bands and like... Totally makes sense. Yeah. So Gorilla Biscuits just kind of like, I think just kind of fell apart back then. 91. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's really when I started getting on my spiritual trip too. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like disillusioned with hardcore, totally disillusioned with the hardcore scene. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was just looking for more in life. And that's when I, you know, that's when I started getting into like, Buddhism and you know Taoism, and I used to go to like that. There's like a New Age bookstore on Fifth Avenue. I used to go there all the time, spend all my money on books. Wow, that's awesome. And and, I, and that's basically how I got into uh, how I got into Krishna. Okay. And then and then eventually I like I was working at Down to Earth. Siv was working there too. Remember that. And um, Steve Reddy, who used to book shows in Albany, was yeah. living at my house. He had he had just come from that Krishna farm in Pennsylvania, and he was like, "Hey, man, I'm thinking about." And, and me and him were really getting into uh, um, Krishna together. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm going to move back to that farm. You want to come with me?" And I was like, "Yeah, but I'm not going to tell anybody because I thought all those guys would think I was crazy." 
and they were trying to talk me out of it. So I literally <laughs> disappeared. I Damn. freaking disappeared from the hardcore scene. Siv didn't know where I was. I quit my job. Siv was like, what the hell is going on with Purcell? He's not, he's not working here anymore. <laughs> Moved out of my apartment. Like, my dad didn't know where I was. I remember, like, after a month, my dad finally tracked me down and, like, called the temple there and was like, what's going on? Holy <laughs> shit. Know? No phones back then either. Can't track you down either. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, there was no cell phones. Um, and it was weird because I just did it. I was thinking like, I'm, I'm just like going to quit music. I just got to get out of the city. I need a break from it all. It was like, a, it was good for me too. Cause it was like a detox. You know yeah. what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you just need to take a break, take a step back and just freaking cleanse your body and your mind. I yeah. mean, that's kind of like how it was, was for me. Yeah. I went from this crazy hardcore scene with people getting stabbed and, you know, and then I was like just on a farm and I was like, you know, working with, the, you know, working with the cows, and like gardening and awesome. stuff and like, you know, being out in nature. It was really exactly what I needed. It was quiet. I could think. Yeah. And it was funny too, because at the time, um, Vic had quit Shelter to do that band 108. And so okay. Shelter were looking for a guitar player. They couldn't find a guitar player anywhere. They didn't know that I was living at Kitanagri. I was li living at that farm. <laughs> crazy. And so, sh sh so all sheltered, they just said, we're just going to go to India. And they went to India. And then they came back and they were like, man, we really got to find a guitar player. So they're asking around. And there was one hardcore kid who was like, hey, man, why don't you just get Purcell? He's living at that Krishna farm now in Pennsylvania. And they were like, what? <laughs> oh, shit. And so, and so they, so Kaplow told, he was funny. Kaplow just recently told me this. He said he called the, he called Gita Nagri and they had this one, like, you know, it's a farm. Yeah. So I'm at this barn that's like miles away. So he calls for me at the one phone, which is at the office. And he was like, Hey, is, uh, is this guy named Purcell living there? And he was like, I know this. He goes, I know there's a new guy, but I'm not sure what his name is. And he goes, what does he look like? He goes, he kind of looks like you. He goes, that's the guy. Oh, <laughs> shit. So, so Capo <laughs> drives down to the farm wow. and um, I remember I'm working in the barn. I'm like literally like feeding cows in the barn and he comes in with the rest of the guys at shelter. I'm like, this is so cool. I can't believe you're a, you're a devotee now. We need a guitar player. Come back to Philadelphia with us. It's so great. You can be in shelter. And I was like, Hey man, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't want anything to do with hardcore. I don't want anything to do with punk rock. Like, thanks for the offer, but no way, Damn. no way, no how am I going to like do hardcore again? Oh, but shit. I tell you, if you, if you know, Ray Capo, <laughs> <laughs> Ray Capo can talk anybody 100%. into anything. Yes. And so it was really, it was actually, I mean, what he said made sense. He, he said, Hey man, did you read the Bhagavad Gita? And I said, yes. And the story of the Bhagavad Gita, which he reminded me of, is this, there's this warrior named Arjuna. Yeah. And there's these, like, horrible people that are about to literally, like, take over the world. Like, they're, they're going to come to power, these people that are, like, you know, just horrible, horrible people that want to, like, you know, exploit the world for their own purposes yeah. <laughs> yeah and so he's this incredible warrior he's one of the few people that's like such a good warrior that he can stop them <laughs> but yeah. he decides but he decides that i don't want to do this i'm not into violence i'm not into you know i just want to go off and i just want to like be peaceful 
Yeah. And so one of you know, so one of the lessons of the Bhagavad Gita is Krishna telling Arjuna, it's like you don't have to give up what you're good at. You just have to do it in like a righteous and a positive way. I love that. And that and that makes all the difference. And he was like, You're one of the few people that actually has the skills, you're such a great warrior. You know, you should fight in in, in, in this war and stop these people before they take over the whole world. Mm. And so it's not it's not what you do that makes a difference, it's how you do it. Wow. And he said, dude, you're not a farmer. He's <laughs> like, you're a great guitar player. You're a communicator. Mm-hmm. You got this ability that you can take up, that you can, that people listen to you. And like, when yeah. you have a message, you should be out there. You should be out there. Like, you know, on the front lines, like communicating with people. Yeah. He said, he, he said, this is your opportunity. And, and I was like, dude, you want to know something? You're right. <laughs> I'm not even good at farming. <laughs> <laughs> So and it and it was funny too it's because amazing. when I joined the temple, I literally sold everything that I owned. Okay, I saw these I saw these straight edge kids. I had I had like hundreds of t shirts, and I saw these straight edge kids walking down the street. They were actually from France. I was like, "Hey, dudes, you guys want to buy my t shirt collection?" And they're like, "Yeah." They came over. They bought like every single. They literally bought like two hundred t shirts off Holy of me. Like, shit. no. I sold all my t-shirts. I sold all my furniture. I sold all my books. I sold everything. What was the one thing that I kept? My freaking guitar. <laughs> no, that was meant you know, to be. It was, it was just like that, Yeah, man. It was just that one thing that I still needed. Wow. <laughs> you sold all your records too, right? Yeah, I sold all Damn. my records. So dumb. Wow. <laughs> you probably had some classics. I mean, if I if I have my record collection, I mean, that record collection is probably worth like $100,000 today. Jeez, I mean, I all my Misfit singles signed by Glenn Danzig. Oh. I had like a stack of Chung Kings. I mean, Chung King was like, Dude. a couple of years ago, Chung King was the highest it, selling record of the year. I heard that, man. It's it, sold, it sold for almost $9,000. The only the, It got beat right at the end of the year. I think it was like 2002. I think it was like 2016 or something. The only record that beat it out right at the end of the year was David Bowie's first single, sold for like five hundred dollars more. Oh wow! Dude, I had a stack. I had a stack of them. Damn. You know, I could, I could have probably bought a house with just the Chunk Kings that I had. That's crazy, <laughs> man. Would you sell bigger yeah, bottles? Yeah, uh, I sold all to remember Dave Stein had that record store yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. for a for for a hot second. Yeah. I sold my whole entire collection for fifteen hundred dollars. And I took all the money and I donated it to this author who wrote this to put out this book called Lives of the Vaishnava Saints. <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing, man. Are you serious? So I, I, oh, I didn't even keep a I didn't even keep a dollar of it. I sold wow. my collection gave all the money. So I literally sold everything that I owned except for my guitar. It was kind of like, I don't know, Krishna knew that I was going to need that thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so then you left, then you left, how long were you at that farm for? How many months? I was there for probably like six months. Wow. Off the grid. It was good, man. It was, yeah. a, it was a good six months. Yeah, off the grid, doing a lot of meditation, waking up early, living healthy, working from, work, like doing like hard manual labor from sunrise to sundown. You know, learning all this new spiritual stuff. It was great. And then you went back into the city after that, or? Yeah, then I moved to uh, I moved to Philly. That's where that record label Equal Vision started, and where Shelter was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know he was. In, I didn't know he was in Philly first before he was upstate New York. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I lived there for years. 
And then, and then she, I lived in New York City. I lived in New York City at the at the Brooklyn Temple. Oh, you did after for that? a few years too. So, what was that? So, so shelter, man. Shelter was a whole different level, and then it was like, you know, a Krishna conscious, straight edge vegan band. It was like such another level of consciousness and everything, man. Yeah, we were all brahmacharis. Do you know what a brahmachari is? No. A brahmachari is a celibate monk that lives in a temple. Wow. <laughs> How long are you celibate for? Five years. Holy sh... Wow. That's dedication. And dude, it was like... I mean, think about it. I was like... That was from when I was like 24 Holy to like 29. Shit. That was like the hardest years to be celibate. And, and there's no there's no masturbation allowed? Nope. Wow, five years. That's crazy. I think Adam did that too. Not that long, but I know he had, he's living in the temple too. That's that's. You know what? It's good. Occasion. You know what? It's good, dude. It was. It's such a. Even if you just do it for a little bit, yeah. I mean, we live in such a sexualized culture. True. You know, just to kind of take that whole weight off your shoulders for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So liberating. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know. So much of our time and energy goes into like what we look like, mm -hmm. how attractive we are to the opposite sex. It's like True. it can take over your life. True. When you kind of like take that out of your out of the equation, you just have so much more, you know, brain power to like you know put into like things that are so way more important. No, it makes sense, actually. It was it was incredible. It was like going to spiritual college. Five years. That's pretty you know, amazing, man. Yeah. And and we were going to India. I mean, we were spending months at a time living in like temples and ashrams in India. I mean, it was an incredible time in my life. Yeah, you know, studying with gurus and you know, you know, really kind of like studying this like ancient literature, studying all this like yoga wisdom. Mm -hmm. It was it was it was amazing. And was the band happening at that time too, and touring in between? Yeah, the band would, um, we would go out and tour. We'd stay at temples. Yep. Um, I don't know how we did it, dude. We would like play till one o'clock in the morning and then wake up at like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and like, and like, ch and like chance. <laughs> that was, you guys were on Roadrunner too back then, right? That was Roadrunner? Super Soul, whatever? Uh, well, well, first we were on Equal Vision, yeah, and then we got signed to Roadrunner, and then we we moved to the Brooklyn Temple. The yeah. whole band lived at the Brooklyn Temple. And how was that reaction coming out? With like, a, here's these guys from Youth of Today, all these bands, and then they come out, and then the, now they're doing a Krishna band. Was a react? Was was there a lot of? What was that like? Was it back? You know, when I first when I first joined Shelter, and we started like you know really t touring around the world huge backlash okay people were literally like people were literally picket and boycott the shows Holy and saying shit. you know religion doesn't religion doesn't belong in hardcore you know god doesn't belong in hardcore spirituality doesn't belong in hardcore you know what we would say who the freaking hell are you to, to tell me what what, <laughs> what belongs in hardcore yeah. hardcore means Hardcore to me always meant my punk ethos from the time that I was twelve. Yeah, was you got something to say? say you got something burning in your heart that you want to communicate to yep. people? Learn three chords, get on the stage, and say it. Like this yeah. is your time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, 
And I got like a, I got like a 16 year old kid telling me that I can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. (laughs) It's true because a lot, a lot of the shit before that was like anarchy in the UK, never on the Bullocks, fuck your parents, fuck the government, get fucked up and all that shit. That's what I feel what separates that. That was punk rock. And I feel like hardcore is like, we play just as aggressive. You can slam dance to us and stage dive, but we actually want to fix the world. We want to change it and make it and do something positive. That's that's what I feel the difference is from punk and hardcore for me. Yeah, totally. And you know, so when it was like that in the early, you know, people are like, "You guys are in a cult. You guys are like <laughs> whatever." And it's so funny because you know, back then, things like chanting and kirtan and like even like yoga. Yeah, it was so. It wasn't mainstream yet. No, man. You know what I mean? So people were so people were like very kind of like you know, they didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. And like you know, in like nineteen, you know, ninety two or whatever, like when I joined Shelter, it was like people didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. And you know, nowadays you have like yoga festivals with like Kirtan and you get like, you know, fifty thousand people that mm-hmm. guy. I mean, now it's like mainstream. Yes. Um, you same know, with veganism, then, same like, thing. Veganism. You guys are on the cuff of everything yeah. that's changing the planet. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's like back then. It's like you know, if you meditated, you were a freaking weirdo. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Totally. Now, nowadays, it's like nowadays pe- people are teaching kids how to meditate in school. Yep. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's but you know so those those early tours that we did, there was a huge amount of backlash. Yeah. But that but by the time we got on Roadrunner. I think people actually took the time to read the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, Ray's just such a great, you know, lyricist. And people read the lyrics and were like, you want to know something? I'm into this. Yeah. Like, I agree with this. Like, mm-hmm. I can wrap my head around, you know, the messages that he's putting putting out, even though, like, it's a bunch of guys in, like, wearing orange clothes, you know, shaved heads. Yes. I, I think, um, I think later on, uh, you know, that, that kind of like backlash really mellowed out. Yeah. Did you feel like it was too preachy at times or no? Um, you know, maybe in the early days. Yeah. But I I think later on we kind of learned how to communicate better. Yeah. Just like, you know, Mm -hmm. just like anything, you learn how to get mature and, and you you understand that like, you know, it's, it's not, you know, that's, that's one thing that kind of like could turn me off about like veganism. When you go to like a fanatic vegan who's just like so judgmental and just like yelling at people. It's like, it's the worst. you know, you figure out really, you feel, you figure out really quickly. You don't change people's hearts that way. You don't. You change people's, you change people's heart by being like a shining example of Lead what you by believe example. in. Lead by example. Yes. Yeah. And when people see that you're like healthy and happy yep. with what you're doing, people yep. are like intrigued. They're, you know, by that. 100%. So. There's the fine line between like, I deal with that on social media too, like being passionate and preachy. Like I always try to call myself teachy, not preachy. Like I'm so passionate about my beliefs when I put them out there, sometimes I don't think first before I write something or post a video of animals and I'm not doing it to like say, shove it down people's throats and be like, yo, this really fucking hurts my feelings. I'm really passionate about living this lifestyle. I'm, I'm not trying to like, tell you to be like me, but it's my personal page and this is my beliefs. It's hard sometimes when you, when your heart thinks, and I understand like with shelter, he came back, you guys came back from India. You guys were super hyped on, um, being Krishna's and everything about that. 
And so you wanted to spread the word because you thought it was something so positive that it really affected you guys. And so some people can take that as like, you know, the shoving this shit down my face. First of all, you don't have to buy our records. You don't have to listen to our band. You know what I mean? Like this is what we're about and you can like it or not. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was cool was the 90s was a freaking weird ass decade, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. It's like, 100%. It's like you could you could play the weirdest music. It was almost like being weird was kind of like the standard for the music scene. Even like mainstream music you had stuff like Nirvana hitting yeah. and like even Rancid getting big. Yeah. And like, you know, it was almost like anything goes. So it was almost like Shelter came along at the perfect time, mm-hmm. especially when we were on Roadrunner because yeah. just kind of like being weird was sort of like, you know, part of the course back then. Yeah. And people were like, oh, a bunch of, a bunch of Krishnas playing like punk. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's crazy because fucking Mantra blew up because Adam told me these stories, meaning your band, that you guys had MTV hits, you got in South America, you had bodyguards. It was like a whole different level. Here We Go Again video was getting crazy rotation. That was crazy, man. Yeah, it was, it was a weird time. It was a really weird time. The band actually got pretty freaking big. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we've toured it. It was weird because when we went to South America, we didn't even know it, but you know, Roadrunner is a big label in South America. Dude, mm-hmm. Sepultura. Yeah. Becoming so, I mean, Sepultura was like a mainstream band down Massive. there with a lot of like MTV play for their videos. Also. Yeah. So when we booked our, our first tour down there, we didn't even know it, but the here we go video was number one on the MTV top 20 countdown for the whole three weeks before we toured <laughs> That's there. crazy, dude. I mean, you couldn't ask for any better promo. We didn't no. even know it. Like, yeah. we got, I remember we got there. That was funny because Adam was in the van. Yeah. We got there and they had bodyguards for us. Dude. And they were like, we're taking you, we're like, what do we need bodyguards for? And they're like, we're taking you to a mall. You have a, you have a, like an in-store record signing appearance at a mall. Dude. And you, you ever do, you ever do those things and you're like embarrassed because there's like three kids there. I mean, when, when you're coming from the hardcore scene, it's like, <laughs> there's no rock stars. You no, know what I man. mean? Like signing records. I was never really comfortable like either, sitting behind dude. a table and signing records. Like you're some big rock star. I was like, we're much of freaking hardcore kids. 100%. We're like, we know that that's like, that's total bullshit. Like the whole point of hardcore is like, the stage is yours. Yep. You know, it's you're like, equal with everybody. For the fan. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I remember even before we played a show, we got there, they got these bodyguards with like the, with like the earpiece in their ear so they could communicate with each other. <laughs> and they bring us to this mall and there's literally like 5,000 screaming kids when we showed up. And like we, we needed the bodyguards. Crazy, we would not man. have been able to get into the freaking mall without these bodyguards like pushing people out of the way. It was, it was so nuts. Wow. And then at, and then after we did that we played on MTV. We got like we got interviewed on MTV probably like six times on that tour. Played these huge shows. We get back to America and our next tour is opening up for no doubt on That's a whole right. arena tour of the country. It was insane. Oh shit, I remember that. It was really it was really cool because I don't know if you remembered cuz Shelter had the weirdest merch table. <laughs> you remember our merch table was like <laughs> Channing beads and like tongue scrapers and like Ayurvedic <laughs> medicine and like yoga pants. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. It was, like, 
<laughs> and like books. Yeah, you know, we had all this. We used to go to India. We used to bring all this stuff, like deities. It's you know, crazy man. You know, we used to bring all this crazy stuff back from India. We'd sell it at our merch table. And I remember when we were in Europe, um, we played a festival show with No Doubt, and I was sitting behind the merch booth, and Tony Canal comes up to the table and he said. I'll take one of everything that you have. <laughs> He's the best. Man. Shout out to me, <laughs> so man, Tony, up. man. It's awesome. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm loading him up with, like, books <laughs> and T-Lock and yoga pants. Like, he's taking all this stuff. So, me and him started talking. Uh-huh. And he's from a Brahmin. He's from a Brahmin family. Like, he yep. grew up chanting mantras in his house. And, like, yep. and he was he was so intrigued that here's, like, this punk band. And they're, like, doing all this stuff. So, he, yeah. you know, we immediately became friends and so he got us on that tour it's amazing and i mean dude it was incredible no doubt we're the biggest band in the freaking country yeah. like that song don't speak yep. that was the biggest song in the whole country and we're yeah. opening up for them it how were incredible. the shows how are the crowds and stuff dude, shelter went over great every single night i mean we're playing wow. arenas every night and shelter was like you know capital's great front man yeah man. the band had a lot of energy and it was just like good melodies did great yeah yeah, That's I mean, it was amazing, like it was a really, it was a really cool time in my life. What year was that? Ninety six. It's probably like yeah, like ninety six, something like yeah. that. Maybe nine, yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. It was great. I got to be a rock star for a summer. <laughs> <laughs> so that that record, so those, so that was the biggest record, probably Mantra, right? For you guys. Yeah, Mantra was a big record. It was funny too because we were totally skewed when we put out our next record. We put out that record, Beyond Planet Earth. Yep. Which was just like, you know, we we had like a ska song on it. Was there a rap song like, on there too? I mean, it was all different genres. It, it was, was like it was wild. It was basically a record that we're like, "What's big? We're gonna do music of what's big, and we're gonna become the biggest band of the whole world." Wow! Once you get once you get into that mentality, you're doomed as a band. Agreed. You know, when you're trying to figure out what's the next big thing, and you're gonna pander to the crowd. Instead of just playing the music that moves your heart, yeah. you're doomed as a band. Did you feel guilty? Like did you feel of, part of that? Did you feel like were you back? Did you feel like you're just going with the flow, or did you feel weird about that? Um, well, you know, I had I, I had wrote a bunch of songs on that record that were like way faster. They almost sounded like descended songs. Mm-hmm. And then you know they they had all these producers, and like the producers were like, "No way, you got to slow this stuff way down. You wow. got to make them all sound like rock songs." You can't you can't put so much distortion on the guitar, mm-hmm. and at that point it was just like I kind of trusted these guys, yeah. even though even though I knew that like man this isn't like sounding like Shelter yeah. anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah. I kind of like trusted the record label, and I trusted that these guys were going to make us the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what's I you know what's ironic? The next big thing was punk. You know, fast punk like right. Rancid were selling hundred thousand records. Yeah, yeah. The Offspring were like the next, like these guys didn't know shit. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish we had put out a record that like we, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we were like a punk band. I wish we yeah. just stuck to our sound. We would have been way bigger. Yeah. And it was a really like hard lesson to learn that, dude. Friggin' follow your heart. Don't listen to these friggin'. Don't try to be big. Don't mm-hmm. try to be the freaking, you know, that's what music was always about. I yeah. Mean, yeah. 
Hundred percent. Did you feel like Shelter was going to be this? Is it? This is our career. Like we actually made it. Like when that record blew up, did you feel like a whole different? Like all, all you you you've been in so many bands and doing it for so long, had great tours. You inspired so many people, and now you're in, now you're in Shelter and you got like a hit song. And like it must have been crazy because like you guys really didn't expect we that either. We thought that when Beyond Planet Earth came out, that we were going to literally be the biggest band in the world. Wow. <laughs> you know, we thought, like, one of these songs has to get on the radio. You know, and I mean, that's what the record label's telling us the mm -hmm. whole time that we're recording it. Like, you know, we're almost recording the record in that mindset of thinking, like, what's on the radio? Yeah. And how can we get played on the radio? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's when you lose your, that's when you lose your, you know, your whole, um, passion, focus, you know, everything. like, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. And did any songs you know, hit the radio? Did anything connect? Not really. Wow. <laughs> not really. I mean, the record actually still sold over a hundred thousand copies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, any band that can do that is like, I'm, Hell yeah. I'm still pretty psyched on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys know, didn't, I mean, you guys had a record that was kind of like more mainstream. Same thing, same thing happened to us. We sold a hundred thousand of our, our go record and we had a big producer and we got more melodic and, you know, I'm not, you know, that record we talked about it on one of these episodes. Like I didn't write any lyrics on that song. I was moving to California. My mind wasn't there. I kind of let my brother and Rusty take the reins. I didn't write one song on the whole record, me nor Adam or a Todd friend. I kind of went with the flow kind of like you did. And like, we tried to do something different and it was still the same band and the same people, but a bigger producer and more like, you know, candy coated kind of record. And I, I wish that it was no disrespect to the guy or producer, but I feel like Chad, Chad Gilbert, who did all our, our later records could have did just as good job because those songs stand out in our set list. But at that time I was just like in a different headspace. I wasn't really focused and we were so burnt on touring on the record before that for like over a year. I just, I don't know. just like, I just went with the flow kind of like you, you know, and who knows, but yeah, I mean, you live and you learn. It was a good experience being on a major label. We tried it, you know. Uh, you live and you learn, man. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you learn. Sometimes you learn the hard lessons. It's yeah. all part of life. Yeah, for sure. It's part. It's part of our career. We did it, and luckily after that, we had seven years of no records, and then put out nothing to prove, and that really connected. We're lucky that kids actually cared seven years later, and we came on Bridge Nine, so that was really, really lucky, you know. But yeah, man. Yeah, it's cool, dude. We've had a charmed life, man. For sure, you know, man. We can't, we can't complain. We're so lucky. There's no reason that I understand anybody could be doing what they love and be upset. There's no way, woulda, coulda, shoulda, bullshit. If you're, if you're like playing music for a living, not just for, not, not, not completely for your full income. You're doing other things. Like you play music, you do, you, you do, you're a yoga instructor, yogi, and you kill it because that's your passion. You do what you love every day. You know, like we're fucking so lucky and we worked hard to get there. And so I, I feel like, there's no reason not to be happy unless you're fucking super sick or something's wrong with your family or, you know what I mean? Like so lucky, man. You know what? And I really have the hardcore scene to thank for it, for giving me the confidence to just live life on my own terms. Yeah. Me too, man. And yeah. I, I wouldn't have any, you know, I meet these, you know, I meet some kids from my high school sometimes that are like, you know, I went to this Westchester, you know, way upper middle class, you know, preppy high school, every, yeah. every other car in the, in the parking lot, it's like a BMW or a Mercedes. Yeah. Like a lot of these kids that I went to high school now are super rich. Wow. And so I, I, I was walking in New York city and I met this one kid that I went to high school with. 
and I was like, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm a lawyer or something. I work for this huge law firm. And he was like, you know, telling me all this stuff. I was like, oh, yeah. No, I was eating. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, you know, I'm teaching yoga, really into yoga. You know, and I tell you, I was almost like embarrassed because here's this guy like, you know, whatever. I make a modest living teaching yoga, but I love it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like I'm actually helping people. And I think yeah. I take my job as like a service. Yeah, man. And I mean, that, that, that makes all the difference in the world. 100%. And this, this guy starts telling me, man, this guy starts telling me, man, I feel like my whole life is wasted. I hate my job. I make a ton of money. I buy a bunch of shit that doesn't make me happy. He's just like, man, you, you, you just kind of like figured it out. Yeah, man. And I was, and, and I was, and you know, it's true. It is true. true. There's so many people these, these days that just go to college. They learn a trade that makes them money, but doesn't make them happy. And you see a bunch of rich people that are miserable. Hundred percent. Like who wants to be? Who wants to be like that? Yeah, I know a lot like that actually, and it's crazy because it's like, like I, people always say, like, you know, wh- wh- how do you, what do you base success on being in the band? Well, it's longevity. It's inspiring people and actually doing what I love. It's like not about record sales and MTV. All that would have been great. It would have been awesome if that happened. We had a couple plays here and there, but it wasn't about that. Like you said, it was the music and the message and doing something fun with your friends, and it turned out to be a career. And yeah, like it'd be great to have a million dollars, but would I be, I, I like my life that I still hustle and I'm happy and I'm healthy. I own a house. I get to travel and do music and do all this stuff. And it's like the grass isn't always greener. I know a lot of fucking millionaire people who are not happy, man. There people are, are just, money doesn't fix anything, dude. It's like so lucky. And it's, it's, it's funny too, because all this yoga philosophy that I studied for years in, in ashrams, it really comes out to play. Mm-hmm. Dude, materialism is not going to make anybody happy. Yeah. We're not material. We're, we're not materialistic people. We're mm-hmm. actually spiritual people. Yeah. What makes you happy is how much love that you have in your heart. hundred percent. And how much love that you, ex- that you extend to other people. Yep. It's like, it, it's, it's, a, it's actually a super easy formula, but not, a, but our, our culture doesn't move in that direction. Everybody's super selfish. So, yeah. So, you know, thankfully, you know, hardcore kind of like when you're a punk rocker and you're growing up with a lot of stuff, you really become aloof to like public opinion mm-hmm. and <laughs> just the way and, and you and you sort of have this kind of like it's almost like a disdain for the mainstream. What yeah. to speak of, you know, how people are always trying to keep up with the mainstream. We come from a mindset where we're like the mainstream sucks. We're going to yeah. do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and 100%. And. And I tell you, in this kind of like day and age where things are like hyper materialistic, and at least in America, mm-hmm. you know, it's a kind of like, you know, that I had like the uh, the courage and the strength to kind of like move in my own direction. Yeah, it really like it made all the difference in my life. I'm so grateful to, you know, this music scene and all the bands. Yeah, and man. Even like bands like like the Dead Kennedys, and you know, just all these bands that I grew up listening to yeah. that like were so kind of like against mainstream culture and they actually pointed out all the problems of like cookie cutter mainstream culture and then mm-hmm. I didn't want to be part of that. Yeah. And you know, whatever. I mean, I could have went to college. I could have like, you know, done great in college and got some like business degree and went into business just like my dad. My dad made a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't want that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, feel, do you feel like all those values and stuff that you've gotten your whole life 
from punk rock and hardcore you use as a father and instilling your children? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I always tried to like, you know, teach my kids that. And, you know, I, I never, you know, my dad put so much pressure on me. Yeah. You know, this, this music scene is a waste of time. You're going to throw your life away. You got to go to college. You got to buckle down. You got to just get a job. And, you know, that's going to be your life. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm looking at my dad. I'm like, I'm seeing you do that. Yes. <laughs> and you don't seem very happy. <laughs> so why am I going to do that? Yeah, totally. I know. It's just the American you know, way. So, it's just like you do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy, man. Eat these four food groups. You know, so, milk does the body good. Eat your milk. Uh, eat your meat. Eat your eat your breads. Eat all this stuff, and go to college, and get married, and have kids, and get a job, and just all that shit, man. It's, yeah. You know, I always try to tell my kids, you know, follow your heart. Yep. You know, don't think so much about making money, but think of something that's that first of all is going to that you're going to be very very passionate about. Yep. And it's going to wake you up in the morning, and you're going to be glad to do it. Oh yeah. And try to find something that you can make money of, make money at that actually helps people and serves people and inspires people. Yeah. And if you can do, if you can do that, you know, you don't work a day in your life because your your work doesn't seem like your work. Your work seems like you know fun. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Your work becomes your work becomes something that you want to do as mm -hmm. opposed to something that like. I mean, I've done it, dude. I've done it. I remember when my kids were first born, and like, I, I stopped doing music, and I just got like, you know, some just crappy jobs to, to get a paycheck. And dude, it's no way to freaking live your life. Yeah. Sitting there staring at the clock, waiting for the freaking Brutal. day to be over, waiting, waiting for Friday to come around, just because it's like, oh, it's Brutal. no way to live your life, it's man. No. What do you, What do you think it was with? With me and you and other people that we know that, like I said, like we both heard Minor Threat and we decided from that day on, whatever, that, it, you know, there's people out there like us and we're going to stick to our convictions our whole entire life through everything, through every type of struggle and ups and downs and being married and having kids and all that, that we still stayed straight edge and, and vegetarian and vegan. I just, it's, it's, to me, it just seems like a no brainer. It was just easy because I know how animals are treated. I know how drugs affect people. Why, I don't know why other people can't, can't see that i don't know it's just i don't know i feel like there's so many followers and shit but i don't know do you know what yes. i mean I, I try not to i try not to concern myself about that too much yeah i just try to like you know i just try to live my life you know the way that i want to live it yeah i actually i actually try to be very you know i try to be very strict with myself mm -hmm. and i and i try to be very tolerant with other people yeah have patience and shit too you know yeah. it's yeah. it's it's like, um, and I, and I actually, I try to influence other people as much as Me I too, can. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, that's a big part of my music. And even it's like a big part of the way that I teach yoga. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because people appreciate that. You know, if you can actually connect with somebody and you can even, even in a little bit, change your life in a, in a better way yeah people are so appreciative people are so appreciative of it it's true and really that's the re that's the reward for me it's not the mm -hmm. it's not the monetary it's not the monetary award yeah but i mean even I like agree. in youth today i mean i mean we weren't the biggest band we never had a gold record we never had like you know you're not you're never going to open up like a 
you know, freaking MTV book and see picture you today in there. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, we had this like huge effect on a lot of people. Yeah, man. And, and to me, I'll take that over like having some like hit pop song that 100%. like, you know, people can't remember in 10, 10 years anyway. Yeah, man. It's a massive impact you, more got, you guys had on the world and like had a huge impact on me as a, as a kid still do it to this day and I'm um, honored to call you my friend and also like everything you've done with your life and all that being a great dad I see all the stuff with you and your kids and just like you balance everything too man it's it's hard it's hard it's not easy being a parent it's not easy being a musician and traveling going back and forth leaving your family but it seemed to work out and it's because I don't know I just feel like we, I feel like we live it and it's like we're lucky we still get to live it and um I don't know. So I appreciate everything you've done for me with all the, all the bands you've been in. Even in. I can't even name all the bands again. But um, although I'm going to check out the Ro Young Republicans, I haven't really heard them before. Is there any music anywhere? <laughs> um, some guy, you know, the the demo was lost for years. Yeah. And then some guy, one of the guys from the Anthrax, found it in like a shoebox. Damn. In his in his closet, and some guy, and, and some guy actually put it out on vinyl. Oh wow. Yeah, dude. <laughs> crazy. I would send you. I would send you a copy. I don't even think I have a copy myself. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have any of my any of my own stuff. I don't have any of my own records. Dang. I don't have any like flyers or like posters or anything. I usually just don't keep that stuff around. You have the, mem you have the like memories, trouble. man. Obviously, we just talked about. It. You have the memories. You lived it. You lived it. You know. So. Yeah. Um. My my final question usually but, ask people is, but I already know the answer. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? But I already know that. I already know what you are. I knew that from the jump anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm always optimistic. Yeah, man. Always. Yeah. I keep the PMA, brother. Hell yeah, man. It's you know. My wife's like I'm a, my wife's like I'm a realist. What are you gonna say? Um she's a she's a realist, she said? My wife's like, I'm a realist. You're optimist, I'm a realist. I mean, people have their own way they look at life and shit like that. It's kind of hard sometimes, especially what's happening in the world. And the president, the government, I kind of try to live in my PMA bubble, but I also watch the news and Vice and all that stuff and keep up what's happening with the government and all that stuff and try not to get down like a dark hole, but um, especially nowadays, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you see, when you get a little perspective, though, you can see that things are actually, things are actually changing for the better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting, man. The world's changing fast too. You know, so many conscious people. So even like the millennials, all those kids who are out there protesting and trying to make differences, and it's great to see people out there using their voices. Such you know, young kids, and it's pretty awesome. Dude, i i have a I have a ton of faith in like the younger generation that's yeah. coming up. Yeah, I mean these kids are su these kids are freaking in their own terms. These kids are like super woke, they're super yeah. spiritual. Yeah. They, you know, they want something different. They kind yeah. of understand that, you know, all this kind of blatant materialism that's been shoved down their throat mm -hmm. isn't going to make them happy. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what these kids are going to do. I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm really psyched on them. Yeah. Me too. I'm super, it's exciting. My son's in a good spot. He's, he's, he's woke as the kids say, and you know, he's in a good magnet program, music school, and he's out there doing things positive. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think all, I think our kids like, our kids and kids who have parents like us who aren't the typical kind of parents, you know what I mean? I feel like it's it's awesome. I'm excited to see what happens to yeah. our kids and what they do in the, in the world, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Toby, man, I just wanted to say, I feel like, uh, 
I feel like we're real kindred spirits. We're like cut yeah. from the same cloth. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it's I think it's great all the stuff you're doing. I think it's so cool that you go to these schools and thank you. You know, tell tell these kids that there's an alternative to you know getting drunk. I mean, you know how mm-hmm. it is when you go to school. Sometimes you don't even you don't even know there's an alternative. No, you don't. You, you need somebody to, to you know to to let them know that there's a freaking better way. Yeah, yeah, man. So, so mad respect for that. Thank you. And that's and, inspired by you, man. So thank you. All right. Just, just paying it forward. <laughs> <laughs> all the bands that inspired me. Yeah, man. That's how we do it. It's awesome, man. Um, well, I appreciate you, Priscilla. Thank you for your time. And I appreciate you being on here. Um, appreciate you sharing your story with me and us and the world, whoever's listening. All you contributed to music, uh, for the animals, for the planet, everything, man. Uh, I appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Great talking to you, bro. All right, man. Take care. Bye. So, Purcell, we're gonna do we're gonna do a part two. I got Purcell back on the phone. I'm gonna do a part two of them soon, but I have to go to Soul Cycle because I'm a maniac. But before I forget this question, I asked Richie this question. I don't know what your answer is. I was told that one time when you guys used to work out, you guys would be doing reps, reps of weights, and you would spell out like S T R and spell out straight edge during your reps. Is that true or false? 100% completely true. Oh, that's amazing. Richie said he didn't remember doing that. That's awesome. Me, me and Steve Reddy used to, used to work out at the, at the same gym. Uh-huh. And he basically taught me the Maha Mantra while we worked out also. Sick. <laughs> but you, so, you, so you spelled out like straight as though in your reps, right? That's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I feel like I'm going to miss Soul Cycle now by asking you more questions, but you guys were so in such in such good shape, too, and that was also part of also being straight edge is like the health, the body, the mind. But you guys were jacked. Like, you guys weren't like some scrawny-ass, like little straight edge vegan guys, too. That, I always thought that was awesome, you know? Yeah, we were unabashedly, like, into health and fitness. But you weren't jocks. <laughs> but you weren't jocks. Like, Rich is like, I didn't we like jocks. We, we, we play sports, yeah. We, we weren't jocks. Yeah. But we were, you know, the whole punk thing was like, live fast, die young, drink yeah. yourself into a stupor. And we like, we wanted to be the opposite of that. Yeah. You know, we, so we kind of like really boldly went out and said, hey, this is what we're into. Yeah. We did like, push, we did push ups for the shows. <laughs> you know. um, and uh, Richie said that he, he went on record saying to the day he dies, he's the first one to start wearing an X watch. And wear a pair of uh, classic high top vans in New York. You know, the first time I did, the first time I saw him, he was wearing those high top vans. I think Walter was the first one to have that watch, though. Oh shit! Okay. All right, but how about you? Walter was the first one to have that thing. Okay. I could be wrong. And then also the first time I saw like, because everybody's wearing boots back then, like, like you know, docks and shaved heads. You guys are rocking high top Jordans and uh, blazers and uptowns, and you guys are rocking super high top Nikes. And that's what I was like, so we, I love that whole look back then. So you got, I think you guys brought that into the scene. Yeah, they were so much more comfortable than boots. Yeah. You know, <laughs> clot around in a freaking pair of combat boots all the time yeah sucks <laughs> but you guys have the athletic 
like just the whole style too. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to call you back, but later, but the varsity jackets and the champion hoodies, which are fucking so massive right now. My son's like, I want a champion hoodie back then. They were super thick when they first came out. Just that whole look was like so opposite of like the leather jackets and the spikes and the boots and the ripped up jeans. It was like more like we're clean cut American kids. We're fucking pure, all that, you know? Yeah. We, you know, we wanted to have our own look. Yeah. You know, every, everybody else was super punk rock. Yeah. And it was almost like a statement against that whole philosophy of, yeah. like, you know, the old old mentality of punk is like dressed to shock, mm-hmm. you know, get fucked up. Yeah. Um, you know, this is how we live outside of the mainstream. Yeah. Bitch, that is the mainstream. Yeah. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? Everybody, everybody's going out, getting yeah. drunk and getting in fights. Yeah. You are mainstream doing that. Yeah. So we want to, we want to do something different. Yeah, and I love that you guys look like normal, like American kids, but you didn't you didn't eat meat or eat fucking drink or do drugs. But you guys look like you guys were like athletic dudes, which you were. You were healthy kids, and but the style, like the high tops and all that shit, it was so it was such a sick. It wasn't. I know it's not wasn't for the fashion. That's just what you guys wore. But it's just something so new and fresh in the scene, you know. I mean, dude, do you know what it was like to walk into CBGBs at a matinee in like nineteen eighty five? With a friggin' varsity jacket on, <laughs> like you could be you could be killed for that. Yeah. It's just like a it's just like a normal crew cut and like a varsity jacket. Yeah, like, bleached hair and shit. Yeah, you know, I'd get dudes with like triple mohawks looking like they they want to kill me. Mm-hmm. What's crazy about that 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 that, that was you guys being punk in the punk scene. Like we're not dressing like everybody <laughs> else, and we still have the same mentality, and it's crazy. Yeah, in a way, it was like more punk than punk. <laughs> yeah, it was because it's like this is us, this is our look. We're still, you know, that's fucking. Yeah, I forgot to ask you that question. It's super important. You have the varsities, the whole look, the X watches, the tight beads on the neck, the cut shirts at the bottom that kind of rolled up, the canvas belts, uh, you know, cam- camouflage pants, fucking Vans, low tops, all that shit. Because nobody's really rocking Vans in the scene. It was a West Coast thing, you know. Yeah, that's true. And then maybe guys started. It was a good. Go ahead. It was a good. It was a good look. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of cool. It's you know. It's kind of cool when uh, you know, like a band rolls in to like to like a club. Yeah. And they all kind of have a look to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's something powerful about that. Hundred percent. You knew who was. You knew you guys were. It was like you guys were fucking. Yeah, man. It was a crew. It was awesome. It was like, but it was a positive thing. It wasn't a violent thing. It was like, this is us. This is what we represent, and you can, you can, you can spot us a mile away and shit. You know? Yeah. It was almost like, hey, this is who we are. We're not comfortable with like a bunch of you know, mohawks and mm-hmm. freaking safety pins. Yeah. You no, know, that wasn't our scene. That wasn't our scene. We were trying to do something new. Yeah. I love that, man. Okay, we're gonna get a part two next week, people listening. But I had to call him back and ask that question about the lifting weights. Also the Jordans, because I remember the like, first time I saw Jordans in punk rock was like Steve Cab and the Bones Brigade videos. This guy started rocking Air Jordans because that was like mostly in, in hip hop and in basketball. But then I saw like, you know, the Bones Brigade rocking them in one of their videos, like skating in high top Air Force Ones. And uh, I'm sorry, Air Jordan Ones, AJK, AJKOs. And then you guys started rocking the Jordans in hardcore. It was like so awesome, man. Yeah, I think Capo's wearing the Jordans on the cover of Breakdown the Walls, right? Yeah. 
Was that the Jordans? Yeah, yeah man. When the, was right when those red, white, and black ones came out. Yeah. So freaking, so cool looking, right? Yeah. And then you guys started rocking, I mean, with like the first, B, they were called, you're not going to know what I'm talking about because I'm a total sneaker freak, but the Air Max 1 BWs, they were like a violet and black and white. And those are the first synthetic Nikes that came out. Everybody started, when they were vegan, they started rocking, you guys started rocking those Nikes that were synthetic back then too when they first came out. That was awesome. Yeah, remember when those, uh, do you remember when Air Revolutions came out? Mm-hmm. Nike Air Revolution? Yeah. They're like the highest high top like ever made. <laughs> <laughs> we saw those things, we're like, oh my God, it's like a dream come true sneaker. Because <laughs> you guys jumped around like and then we, ankle support. And we, and, we, <laughs> and we freaking all got them. We all got them. Those Air Revolutions came out, like the whole freaking straight edge scene in New York got them. It was so funny. <laughs> It's amazing. Great yeah. sneaker. Yeah, man. All oh, you guys always rep Nike and Champion and all that shit. And fucking X Watch put that put that watch on the map too, man. That was crazy. It was just perfect timing for that too. And like eighty eight, I think maybe. It came yeah, out. the 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 Champion thing came out because we used to play Buffalo, and right outside of Buffalo was a Champion outlet. Mm. So, so so every time we played Buffalo, we would go there, and you get those like reverse weave, really thick Champions ones there, and they were super cheap. Mm-hmm. So we would just we would just go there, and we would just buy like a, a ton of those sweatshirts. Wow. They were so thick that even in the winter, you could just wear two of those instead of a jacket. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. Um, yeah, those things were great. <laughs> fuck, man. All right, we're going we're gonna to get back to it. I'm, I'm going to do my soul cycle, but I'm going to hit you with a part two next week because I'm going to have more great stories. I just told Adam how psyched it was on our interview and it was my favorite one so far and I appreciate your time and all your stories for so I'm gonna hit you back though for sure alright cool we'll get into the whole youth crew thing next time so down thank you bro alright brother have a good weekend you too okay, take bye. care man bye hey guys thanks for listening um, please rate review uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast please do that and whatever platform you are listening to this on I'm glad you found me you can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to the next one.